0: Today I'm joined by Fiorella Bianchi. I loved Talking with her so much. She works as a therapist, a school counselor, and is just very well versed and well spoken and knowledgeable about all things relating to mental health. We had an amazing conversation about mental health struggles, struggles because of the pandemic, society's perceptions on mental health, taboos surrounding mental health. So much was covered in this podcast episode, and it does get a little heavy in certain parts. So just be cognizant of that, and if it's too much for you, definitely turn it off or skip some parts. I know that this episode will be super valuable for people struggling through any type of mental health issue and just needing a little bit more advice, support, maybe those considering therapy, anything. It's packed full with a ton of information, and I'm super excited for you guys to listen to this. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hi Fiorella, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me Morgan. I'm really really excited to be here for sure.
0: Me too. I'm really appreciative of you taking the time to come on and chat with me. Are you kidding me? I'm
1: appreciative of you for being
0: so (laughs) kind to me during
1: these last couple of hectic weeks but I'm really excited to do this.
0: Me too. Thank you. So What is one quote that has really resonated with you and changed your perspective on things like life, jobs, relationships, all that?
1: If I could be honest, so um, there's a poet by the name of Ruby Kaur. She's um, a more modern day poet. Um, She talks a lot about like trauma and like her experience. And she like really resonated, although like I didn't experience what she did uh, go through. But there is one quote that like stuck out. It's a really short quote. And it says, and here you are living despite it all. I and I think that. that's the, the, the key word there is despite it all because it's, it's kind of acknowledging, it's such a small word, but it's acknowledging everything you've ever experienced in your life and still saying like, and you're still here.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think, I don't know, that to me when I read that, I had like a cathartic moment, a breakdown. I was like, oh my god, yeah. It's so true. <laughs> yeah.
0: All those tough days and those days where you thought that you weren't going to get through it or those times worrying and stuff, they they really don't mean anything cuz you're still here. So, that's yeah. good about that.
1: Yeah. And and like the weight of it all too. Like I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I know I have where even though like I feel like absolute garbage and it's just one of those days where it's just like I can't keep going time doesn't stop for anyone and you still do continue whether you like it or not and I I guess that's the part that is kind of a burden for some I know that for myself it can be like it's exhausting to think that way but the way she just kind of phrased it of and here you are no
0: Be more simple than it actually is. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So that that. would be the phrase that, like, kind of, I, I repeat it to myself every time I'm going through a hard time. I'm always like, "And here you are, despite it all." And here you are, despite it all. And it's definitely kept me going.
0: Yeah, that's a great reminder. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, what's your background? What do you do? Your story. So. My name is Fiorella.
1: Um, I was born in Queens, New York. um, And I was brought down to Miami at a very young age. Um, My history and my background is actually not in mental health. I used to be a theater kid. Um, I went, you know, I grew up very much enmeshed in theatrics and entertainment. Um, I was a dancer growing up. I used to perform a lot um, on Spanish television shows like um, Univision, on Telemundo. Um, I used to do a bunch of that stuff with, um, with the studio I was in and it was a lot of like musical theater, a lot of dancing and singing and acting and doing a lot of little performances. I went to a magnet middle school, um, and I went to a magnet high school, uh, which was a conservatory of performing arts. My undergrad is actually a bachelor's in acting. Um, so I was very much not mental health. Um, but I guess somewhere along the line, I recognized and I started to realize I was burning out without really knowing that that's what was happening to me. Um, I was starting to struggle a lot with my own anxiety, um, and having a lot of uh, panic attacks and anxiety attacks and not really knowing what was going on. Uh, Coming from a Hispanic household, um, my background, we're, we're all Hispanic. Um, my dad's from Uruguay, my mom's Colombian. Um, so in the Hispanic community, mental health isn't necessarily something that's talked about. Um, normally you just kind of power through and, you know, figure it out. It's a very much a work mentality. You constantly have to be working, um, you know, towards whatever it is that you're working towards. So my parents didn't really know what was going on with me, nor did they, they, they kind of, if anything, kind of simplified it very much like, oh, get over it, or you're being dramatic and things along those lines, um, which definitely didn't help with my anxiety. Um, but the arts did, I was, it very much made me a more well-rounded person and allowed me to express myself. And I, I didn't feel so alone in the, my community. Um, of the arts however I didn't want to continue doing that and I recognized that from an early time but was too afraid to say anything um so I kept doing it until college and then around my third year of college I started realizing like okay this is not what I'm gonna do for the rest of my life um oh hello cat (laughs) my dad was very much heartbroken about it um and I think he never truly forgave me for switching career paths, um, but that's another story. Um, so, I came back down to Miami. Uh, I I got my undergrad in New York. I went back to New York. in Marymount Manhattan College. I got a BFA in acting, and I came back to Miami to try to figure it out. You know, like, all right, let's see what the next steps are. Um, and so I started working at a school for kids with um, autism, and actually with people with autism, to be honest, because it was a large spectrum. Um, We worked with like toddlers all the way to adulthood. Um, I got to learn a lot about um, autism and um, Down syndrome and how beautiful the people are. You know, although they do have those kinds of disabilities, um, they still have such pure hearts. And I learned a lot there actually. And I kept seeing all these wonderful like um, support staff that would come in, like occupational therapists, social workers, um, physical therapists. And I was very intrigued um, by that. My sister-in-law is a doctor. She's a doctor in social work. So she actually has her own private practice. And I guess she's the one that really kind of, open that door or that thought process of like, hey, you know, maybe you should consider being a therapist. Maybe you should consider mental health. Like you're very good at listening to people. You have really good insight. I think if you went to school for it, eh, you'd do pretty well. So I took the advice. <laughs> I, I, I signed up for a master's program at Barry University here in Miami, Florida. Um, it's an accredited college for clinical social work. And so I got my master's in social work. um, And that's really when I started seeing the connection between the arts and mental health. It was something that I started realizing and recognizing that a lot of the things I was learning, at least in the clinical aspect of how to talk to someone, how to provide therapy, how to um, allow that person to fully become themselves, I was kind of doing in the directing aspect in theater. Um, in order to become a character, in order to understand a character, I had to really fall in line with who they were. And the questions I was asking for my character are not that far off from questions I ask my clients um, when they're trying to figure out what is going on with them. Um, so that's essentially like my background. That's, a, that's how it's all started. Um, and I didn't necessarily have a direction I kind of was really in love with criminal minds and so I wanted to do like behavior analysis, work with criminals and so most of my internships were very much working with um prisoners. So I worked at the uh, I worked for a company called uh, Children of Inmates and I would work at the prison in the Everglades. I would Provide therapy to the inmates that were getting ready to be released back to their families and provide like parenting classes and talk to the kids, you know, kind of prepare them for that. Eventually, I swapped over to South Florida Evaluation and Treatment Center, which is actually a mental hospital for um, patients who have committed um, crimes and were trying to get the plea of not guilty by reasons of insanity. And that was eye opening. That really opened the world up to what mental illness can look like um so I learned a lot about schizophrenia bipolar disorder personality disorders up the wahoo on that one um and ironically uh when I graduated I got a job at a great um center and they just kept giving me kids they just And it was like, not what I wanted to do. I like, that was the furthest thing of what I wanted to work with. I did not want to work with kids. But they just kept handing me all the kid cases. And I fell in love with them. (laughs) So um, I progressed my work there. I I reached burnout at that job specifically because of how heavy the cases were. Um, So now I'm actually a school counselor. I, I I got out of that. I'm not a school counselor, um, and I work at my sister-in-law, who's all, the doctor I was speaking about earlier. I work at a private practice as well after work, so I do a little bit like of school counseling, academic counseling, but then I get to actually embellish my actual career and what I love to do at the private practice with my own chosen clients and stuff like that. So that's essentially how I got to where I am now. <laughs>
0: Awesome. I love that. I love that story. And you made a really interesting point. I never heard of there ever being an overlap between like mental health and working as a therapist and directing and acting. I think that's a super interesting parallel that you made. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, where it really shines, I'm not sure. Do you watch Euphoria?
0: Yeah. I actually
1: just finished watching. Oh, my God. Up to wild. Yeah. yeah. Wild. Ready for yeah. this Sunday for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, I think that show, I mean, there's many other shows. Like there's like teen, you know, drama shows like Degrassi, Skims, even Shameless. There's a lot of shows that have a lot of mental health content in it yeah. that are displayed so beautifully. But I think yeah. I I, I want to bring up Euphoria because of the fact that it's one of the first shows I've ever seen that depicts addiction so surreal and so realistically, to be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, And that requires a lot of like, research and in-depth behavior understanding the character understanding what they're going to their experiences how to portray that you know yeah um and i think that's that marriage between you know the arts you know with music like when you listen to a song you know have you ever had like a heartbreak or maybe like a sad moment and you choose like this one song that the words just mean everything that you're experiencing and they move you yeah like that's why there is art therapy. That's why there is music therapy. There's even acting therapy as well. So
0: I, yeah, the arts and, and mental health for sure. Yeah. And that's why I think they say that the, like the best songs, especially love songs, come from the writers and the singers that went through it themselves. And they have actual experience to back it up and writing real honest thoughts from the heart. Yeah, so yeah, like-
1: absolutely. That's the best music is like that. The ones that really like you feel what they're, what they're saying.
0: Yeah. So, throughout your work and stuff, I know you mentioned before that you had to leave a certain job because it was so heavy. And with this type of work, I can imagine that there's a lot that you're taking in on a daily basis. So, what do you do to kind of manage that?
1: So, it's hard. I'm not going to lie. Um, I myself am diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. So, I struggle with my own set of issues. Um, and it is difficult to not um, allow those stories and those things to get to you. But there, if there's one thing that they teach us in school is how to compartmentalize, um, which is really, really, really important in this field. Um, learning not to take all those stories home with you or internalize them. There's thing We have definitions like a counter-transference where it's like when you connect to what your client is saying, and you start making it about you. Um, we have, you know, there's a lot, a lot of practice and a lot of, um, you know, our own ethical rules. We have um, something called the Code of Ethics, which really highlights in situations where um, if you are in a situation that you yourself are experiencing a counter then you need to seek, you know, your own counseling, you need to seek your own superv- uh, supervision. Um, we have like rules that we follow they're more ethical rules obviously things that like you would expect but I'm glad that these are things that are highlighted in those books because these are things that are very much prominent in our field um to speak to myself directly um, I experienced burnout as I mentioned in my first like real out of office job um where I was working with kids I would have cases of like children who were three years old that were um, coming out of foster care, you know, getting reunited with their families who had been physically abused, um, who had been emotionally abused. I have the one case that really kind of set me off and kind of I decided, all right, I need to take a step back from this was um, I had a 12 year old girl who was struggling with um, major depression disorder. And I was, you know, she was supposed to be Baker acted mom couldn't take her so I was actually on my way to go pick her up to take her to um to the hospital to be uh, voluntarily hospitalized and I found her there trying to hang herself and me and her mom both of us are like oh my god like it, it's definitely all these things that you see all these things that you hear it's really hard not to internalize it I've never you know, but before this job, I had never imagined a child ever feeling so hopeless to the point where they don't want to live. That was not something I ever thought could happen, but it exists. It, it's out there. These kids do experience these things. And now working at a school, I'm exposed to all kinds of ranges of feelings of kids that are like, not okay to kids that are just experiencing life and don't know how to cope um and I think the best way that we've learned to handle it is one compartmentalizing understanding that work is work and your life is your life and you can't marry the two because the minute you get too self-involved and you start you know again counter-transfer you're not doing your job you're hurting someone if anything at that point you think that you're helping them because you're trying to speak from experience, but at that point, it's a biased opinion, and you could actually do more damage in that sense. Um, also, self care. You know, learning that when I'm exhausted, I need to take a break. When I, you know, I need a journal. If I am taking something home, because sometimes it's can't even like you know, can't help it. Um, you do end up caring. You care about your clients. You want them to be okay, and sometimes you go home with something, you know, speaking to my supervisor, making sure that they're aware of my situation, um, communicating and having direction, you know, seeking help. I, I, I'm, I'm someone who really truly believes it takes a village. Um, yes, we are very great independent beings. And yes, we are career go-getters. And I'm so happy that, you know, our kind as women have developed in that set, That's fantastic. But it's okay to ask for help. Um, and there are many times where, especially in my field where, you know, you are carrying heavy burdens of emotional baggage. So you need to talk it out. You need to talk to someone, you need to let them know that they're not that you're not doing okay, and that you don't know how to proceed. Um, in that case, and it's okay. It's fine. But essentially, it's self care, um, compartmentalization, um, seeking out help, like talking to someone. That's really what helps me kind of Keep my head straight in the game
0: yeah that's good so with compartmentalization because i know some people listening they they may not work in the mental health field but that's a really useful tactic and skill to have so what tips did they really teach you to help you acquire that skill to be able to like separate things put things in a box let it be and then maybe address it later you know
1: what you just said it's
0: like literally what you just said so when a
1: feeling arises, the first thing that you do is you stop before like acting upon it or saying anything. If you notice that you're getting a feeling that is it doesn't necessarily belong to you, um that maybe you're empathizing with the person in front of you, you stop. You know, you take a deep breath, you think about it, and if it's something you ask yourself, is this something that's going to be helpful? Is it hurtful? Is this something for my client or is this more based on myself? If you don't necessarily have a question, you put it in a box and you move it to the side and then You continue. You literally just kind of tell yourself, hold off on that, move it to the side. Once the session is over, you journal, talk about it when you're writing your notes. You again, it's that whole of taking a beat and moving it to the side, going through with what you have to do. Once that's over, bringing it in and processing. That's the key, though. You need to process whatever it is that you're experiencing because if you don't at that point then you are just bottling it up so who's to say that the next session that you have with your client it doesn't explode it doesn't pop up you know um, that would be one tactic another tactic would also be you know reminding yourself that this isn't your life it sounds a little bit kind of like you're detaching from your client but in essence it it's just a reminder that you of the role that you're serving in this person's life um, just kind of telling yourself like you know, this isn't happening to me. This isn't happening to my family. This isn't happening in my life. And just kind of remind, it's a mental game. It really is. Working in mental health is you have to constantly be checking yourself um, and not getting wrapped up in this other person's you know, situation. Um, I always say, like, in order for you to be there for someone else, and I tell my clients this too. This doesn't just serve for me; it serves for everyone. In order for you to be there for someone, you have to be there for yourself. If you find yourself in a situation, that I I've had maybe I think I had one client where I had to remove myself from the situation because of the fact that I was getting so connected with that person, and at this point, I I was afraid that I would say something or do something that would be damaging. So, you know, we it's that. Open Again, open communication, letting them know, you know, I I feel for you and I understand the situation that you're going through. I do feel that maybe this other person or I'm going to refer you out because I feel like they're going to be able to help you at the ability that you need Um, at this time. I don't think that I can be that person for you. And I want, you know, um, it's just about honesty and you have to be honest with yourself. I think that's the biggest thing. Sometimes because of the role that we take, we feel that we have to be like a superhero but we're not we're we're not superheroes we're human and we experience feelings the same way that our clients do maybe at a different scale but we still go through things so it's really being honest with yourself and expressing to yourself like hey this is just not you know not right now or not for me or maybe i just need a moment whatever the case may be yeah
0: so i i imagine like in this field of work you have it takes a strong individual with a lot of self-awareness to be able to handle it successfully and create longevity in the field because you are dealing with such heavy stuff all the time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I, I don't know about strong person. It's funny that you say that because growing up, I always thought I was weak for having anxiety and for always being so anxious. Um, Now I don't necessarily feel that way. I feel like I am a strong person for having what I have and still being able to function the way that I do.
0: Um,
1: But I don't always feel that way. Like there are moments Mm -hmm. where my anxiety is really bad and I go back to that old thinking of you are so weak. And it has nothing to do with that. It's just at that moment, I'm struggling and I'm not feeling okay and I'm not feeling myself. So I go back to this um, kind of like factory setting of like, (laughs) I'm not
0: or whatever. Yeah. Just kind of just focusing on the negative. Yeah. But what areas of mental health have you seen become an increasingly large problem or concern with the people that you've worked with? And even in kids too, like, what are you seeing as more becoming more and more of a problem?
1: I mean, to be quite honest, like from a day to day, I work with kids daily, and what I'm noticing is that the ability to handle emotions have become kind of hard for them. Even day-to-day typical things, um, it, it's it's like really difficult for them to be able to process. A lot of them don't even know how to process what they're feeling. And it's funny because they're growing up in a generation where mental health is talked about so much. Um, these kids know so much about mental health that I, at their age, did not know. So- Just for reference, I work at a middle school. So my age range is um, from 10 to maybe 14, maybe 15. A lot of the things that I'm noticing is one, a lot of them are starting to struggle with anxiety, um, like a lot, um, social anxiety to be exact. A lot of kids don't know how to communicate with one another um, or deal in situations that are uncomfortable for themselves. So I, I don't... I started working almost four years ago at this school. And yeah, we had our case to case scenarios where there were kids, you know, struggling with their things and stuff. I have never had so many children walk into my office because they're having panic attacks as I have in this year. It's almost daily. And I'll see, it's not just like one student a day, it's like three, four. And it's not the same ones all the time. It's different ones. So that in a sense, like, it's kind of letting me know that like mental health is rising. A lot of uh, mental health issues are rising. And anxiety and depression specifically is something that's been very prominent lately. Something else that isn't it isn't mental health related in the sense that like, um, like having anxiety or depression or bipolar disorder, it's more of like, these kids have so much exposure to technology that a lot of them are self-diagnosing themselves when really they're just kind of struggling with whatever day-to-day issues they're having but because of the fact that they have so much exposure and they're like oh I'm I'm feeling this that, and the other you have cancer (laughs) It's kind of like along the lines of like you have this disorder and then Mm -hmm. they come into my office and they're like verbatim like they're they're talking like therapy speech like huge lingo and i'm there like where did you get this information the dsm like where is this coming from yeah and it's it's that that they have so much exposure and then like everything on television that they see you know the guidelines on television nowadays i remember when we were watching disney you know if they packed once it was like oh oh my god now these kids are having full-out makeout sessions on these tv shows like oh okay and i get it times are changing you know, they're being realistic about things, and that's fine. But we also are we taking into consideration of their development, the brain development, specifically, that doesn't necessarily change too much, you know, their frontal cortex is still developing, a child who watches porn at the age of 10, is going to have significant issues when they grow up, depending on how they process that.
0: So do you think that are the current state of society like the increase in technology and then obviously the pandemic is contributing to this like oh what a million think percent
1: yeah 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 a million percent definitely technology and especially the pandemic really messed up a lot of kids and I, I don't want to say it like that it's not that they messed them up but it did bring a lot of challenges to the household I mean let's think about it this way prior to the
2: pandemic if a child was experiencing abuse at home,
1: verbal, physical, emotional, they got to go to school and escape from it for a little bit, right? They had that positive influence with. you know, school, in the essence was like a safe haven. During the pandemic, they didn't have that escape. It's 24/7, especially during lockdown where you were forced to be at home the whole time.. So that, especially for those kids, that specific population of children that was experiencing that, you are seeing the fruits of that now when they come back to school and they are not themselves. In a typical kid where, you know, everything's fine, now they're like gauged to this computer where all the information is here. All these kids are suffering nowadays now that they're coming back to school academically, because for two years, all of the information they had was on the computer. Now they actually have to go and put in the, you know, their effort. And they don't really know how to, especially my, my sixth graders were in fourth grade the last time they were in a classroom. So a lot of them are still performing at a fourth grade level. And these are the things that I feel like parents aren't recognizing. And I speak more towards the kids, because that's the population that I I would say I specialize in. Um, When it comes to adults, what we're seeing is that, you know, you have these, like, for example, coming of coming of age adults, where two years ago, they were in college, and now they're adults. And so a lot of their jobs are now work from home, right? That connection, that social connection that teaches them, you know, the social Cues, social communication, when it's all been virtual, the computer takes that kind of connection away. So now, when they're coming into work, it's kind of like this awkward social anxiety moment where they just don't understand or feel or know how to cope with the feelings of maybe being judged, maybe being talked about, having to present. All of these things are now factors that they have to take into consideration. Now we're talking about adults like in their 30s, in their 40s, right? Those people who were confined at home are struggling financially, which is a stressor, right? There's so many things that have really affected us as humans, as people in different, you know, um, phases of our lives that we are seeing now, you know, coming back, trying to get back into normalcy. There are going to be anxieties attached to it because it's so different nowadays there's a lot of changes. Um, so I feel like, yes, absolutely. I think those are very large factors that have affected us.
0: Yeah. So with the current way and because of those factors, how do you recommend people start gaining control back, I guess, over their lives and, you know, increasing their ability to socialize better or, make that shift from being isolated and remote so much to being back in person? Like, how would you help people overcome that fear, anxiety, depression?
1: I think the first thing that needs to happen is recognition. The first step is just recognizing that you are not feeling okay. I think once you are capable of recognizing that, the second step is being honest with yourself. Because you can recognize something and say, oh, I'm not, I don't feel normal. I don't feel like I used to. And then say, well, whatever. Right. And try to move back, try to do things the way that they used to be. Right. The problem with that is that it's been two years. You've gone through a huge thing. You can't ignore the elephant in the room. The first thing is to acknowledge, to recognize it, to be honest with yourself and acknowledge that things are different. So you got to move in the direction that you're headed. If you try to go against the flow, you're gonna have friction. So I guess, once you've recognized that things have been feeling different, and you're being honest with yourself, okay, I don't feel okay, and you acknowledge that maybe something's been going on. The second thing is, okay, well, do I need to talk to someone? Do I need help? Do I need to maybe speak to a therapist or a life coach or maybe if you are religious maybe a priest. You know, seeking help doesn't have to be just therapy. I feel like there's because of the fact that mental health has risen so much, yes, you know, I think therapists are more well equipped when it comes towards mental health. However, I also recognize that not everyone believes in therapy, but maybe they believe in their priest. Or maybe they believe in their, um, not sure, like their, their <laughs> I don't know what to say, <laughs> their Babalao or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Yeah. So just having that religious leader that maybe could guide them, go for it. But I think the recognizing is the first step. Um, once you made the decision, okay, I need to talk to someone, then it's implementing those changes into your life with the recognition that there has been change. Again, you go against the current, you're gonna get friction. So people, a lot of people go, well, I go to therapy and it doesn't do anything for me, okay? So my next question will be like, well, are you being honest? Are you really being open? Are you talking about the things that are bothering you without being afraid of judgment? The answer is yes, okay well, are you doing the work outside of therapy? Are you implementing the things that you've talked about outside of therapy? If you're not, you can't expect change. You can't expect to feel better when you're not necessarily doing the things that you should be doing to help yourself. But in order to do all that, you have to acknowledge and, and accept that, okay, maybe I need some help, you know? Yeah. I'm not sure if that answered the question or not.
0: No, yeah, that's perfect. Exactly what you said is perfect. And it's just kind of like that self-awareness aspect is really your first step to healing and to getting better and dealing with all these challenges that you're facing.
1: And I I don't want to necessarily say self-awareness because, yes, Mm -hmm. you do need self-awareness to do all these healings, but not everyone is going to be so self-aware, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to, I, I want to emphasize on the fact of just saying like recognition that you are not okay right there. Yes, it is a little bit of self-awareness, but I feel like not everyone is self-aware to the sense, like, I, I know a lot of people that they are not okay. And I could see it, that they are not okay, that they're going through it and will look you dead in the eye and say, I'm fine. I'm great. Oh, everything's fantastic. I think in that sense, you don't have to know everything that's going on. It's just recognizing that you are not where you say that you are.
0: Yeah. Like you're just recognizing that you're maybe not on the path that you used to be on, or yes. you're maybe not reaching your fullest potential in yes. aspects. Yeah. That's good. So I know like you, you made a really good point about therapy and how you, I I think this is really common where we think that we just go to therapy for one hour a week and we're automatically going to start getting better, but there definitely is that aspect of, you know, doing the homework and working on yourself outside of it. So what do you do in your work to help people do that? Actually like put the work that they're doing in therapy into practice.
1: So one of the main things, um, that is important for us as therapists to know is that we have to meet you where you're at. It sounds really simple and it is because I'm not gonna give somebody work when I can see that they're not ready for the work. It's just plain and simple. Sometimes people come in and they just wanna vent. They just wanna talk about the things that are bothering them. And okay, that's what they're in for. Maybe I'll test them out and I'll say, okay, well, today I want you to journal on this. And then they come the next week and they say, no, I didn't. That already tells me, okay, well, this person's not ready for that. I think the best way to start for me and my clients is I the first couple of sessions, maybe the first two, three, it's just me getting to know them, really trying to hear them, trying to, you know, I'll test the waters. I'll say something in a sense and see how they react. And if they react positively then I know I can head in that direction. You know, it's just kind of seeing seeing where they're at. Once I have a good kind of like gauge on where they're at, that's where I'll meet them. And I'll be like, okay, so this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to work on. I had a client that I had six sessions with them before giving any kind of anything. And the assignment that I gave them was legit, make your bed every day. (laughs) That's it. It was just that. Something super simple. And even then they struggled. But out of the seven days of the week, they did it for four. That's success. And it's always celebrating the little successes. Always saying like, all right, well, look, you did it for four days. That means that you have the capability. The rest is all on you. So how did it feel to do those? And then it's processing. How did it feel to do that? Was it something that was hard? Did you find yourself you know, struggling to do it? Did you make an active choice to not do it? Or was it that you just forgot? Was it because you had a busy... You know, it's, it's completely processing the work. I think one of my favorite assignments to give out is the letters to the younger self. I love that for them because it's so funny when I, every, and there's, it's never, I think maybe one or two people were like, oh yeah. But every time I give out that assignment, I guess, or the homework, I don't like calling it homework, but that task, it's always like this face of like, are you kidding me? Are we really going to do this? Uh." And then when they come the next week and they actually do do it, they're like, Oh, my God, it was cathartic. Oh, I cried. It was fantastic. And it's because I don't I don't give that one out until later on. But I think it's mostly because of the fact that after all the work that we've done in like processing and realizing things that maybe they never put two and two together and they're writing this letter of like most most of the time
2: there's so much forgiveness involved. There's so
1: many I'm sorry's and I know that you'd be proud and and, and maybe even like, I'm sorry I let you down. Like I've heard that before, but there's like this feeling of relief every single time. That's like one of the things that I always hear. I felt relieved. I felt, I feel like a weight has been lifted off my shoulder. And I love that assignment so much because it's really just connecting with yourself. That's all you're doing. It's, it's simple, but it's so hard. And I say that out of experience because I myself write letters to my younger self all the time because of the fact that I, I have my own sets of, you know, like things that I've had to process on my own and I've had to forgive choices that I've made in the past in order to move on. And that's the biggest thing. It's like forgiving those choices because a lot of it is just holding on to like these things that we've done in the past that we cannot even go back and fix. And that's really holding us back. So like I do that assignment. I do something as simple as just like um, with my cases of depression, you know, um,
2: see how many times a week you can brush your hair. See
1: how many times a week you can Brush your teeth. How many times have you showered? Write them down. How did it feel when you showered? Did you have to force yourself? Like all of these things, really, it could be as simple as that. Another one is um, for self esteem. One of the ones that I do is look at yourself in the mirror for five seconds. That would be the first week. Five seconds. Just tell yourself you love yourself for five seconds. Eventually, it'll go for 10, eventually, 15, eventually, 30 seconds. Then we start with affirmations, we work on affirmations. It, it's really every, it depends on the person. Um, there are certain things that I tend to do more with like certain cases. Like if there's somebody struggling with anxiety, maybe I'll work on um, CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. It's the, um, the work of connecting your emotions and reactions to your thoughts. So that's something that I would work a lot with our anxiety um clients and maybe some depression clients depending on how heavy it is um grief we do um the chair which is um a really good like if you have unresolved um you know problems with the with a person who had passed away using the chair method is really good um i even go as far as helping people with academics with with students you know i'm um, doing the pomodoro um um intervention which is basically timing yourself for doing work for 30 minutes and then taking a break and then 30 more minutes, it depends. Every client
0: is different. So it's more just situational.
1: It is a very situational thing. Yeah.
0: Um, for sure. So do you, have you um, like throw everything and throw all of your work have you, do you still see, and with society and everything, do you still see certain topics around mental health as being taboo, like kind of off limits to talk about that society doesn't want to acknowledge? Or do you think that society is starting to become more accepting of everything that people go through?
2: I think,
1: I think mental health has been talked, has been a topic that's been talked about now much more um so i think the concept of mental health and therapy is more accepted however the topics are not i feel like people still are afraid because they don't want to be diagnosed they don't want to know you know, a diagnosis is so scary sometimes because it's like, oh, that means that there's something wrong with you. I think one of the reasons why I wanna start I started my page and one of the reasons why I, I really was excited to talk to you is because I don't think that having a mental health issue or a mental illness means that there's something wrong with you, like capital W, you know. I just think it's something that you have to struggle that you struggle with and something that you have to work on especially with a diagnosis. If you have a diagnosis, that means it's like a lifelong thing. If you have like bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or major depression disorder, things along those lines. There are things like adjustment disorder that is only six months, you know, or um, things like with acute stress disorder, which is just six months as well. Like there are mental health issues that aren't meant to be chronic and they're not there forever. But it's just the minute that you talk about any kind of diagnosis, It's like, oh man, this person is messed up or, oh, I have so many issues. I just want to normalize it because like the brain is this powerful muscle. The brain is our command center. We really think that our brain isn't going to have any kind of issues. Like we really believe this, that for centuries, for years, mental health has always been around. But it's like this... Striving for perfection to being the perfect human. I feel like that really like sets the tone for everyone else who struggles. You know, and one of the things that I I could say from a personal from a personal level is. I've always been a perfectionist. I've always wanted to be this to be the best version of myself, to be this good person. And whenever my anxiety episodes start acting up, I feel like, excuse my language, but I feel like a piece of shit. And I feel like I will never be who I want to be because of the fact that I have this thing. And it's not true. I've gotten so far with what I have already. I know so many people that are so successful and they have mental disorders. And I'm not talking about just like, you know, depression or, or anxiety. I'm talking about, like, bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. There are ways to, like, approach it. But one of the topics that I feel, I think it's mostly because we don't necessarily know how to navigate it and it could be such a, like, I feel like it could be taken into, like, out of context. I think suicide, the thought of death, I feel like because now, because suicide rates are so high right now, um, it's like one of the leading causes of death in America right now. Um, People are afraid to talk about it. People don't want to talk about how they feel when it comes to dying. Um, And I'm not talking about just like the thought of dying because of old age or because of whatever the case, illness. I'm talking about like the thought of wanting to kill yourself.
2: It's a lot more common than what we want to admit. I would say that there,
1: there's a large, I don't know the exact percentage, but I think there's a large percent of us humans who think about that a lot.
0: Yeah, like people, there's... I mean, there's the people that are really want to do it and they plan it out and they do it. And then I I would say probably most of us, we think about it. We think like, oh, well, what if I just turn the wheel of my car this way and just ended it all right now? You know, just little thoughts like that.
1: Yeah. Thoughts like that. Thoughts of wanting to disappear. Thoughts of like, Mm -hmm. I can't handle this. I just want to die. I feel like people are so afraid to talk about it because of the fact that if they do, then it's going to come true. Oh, if I talk about it, then they're going to think that I want to kill myself especially now with Baker acts here in Florida. Um, I I'm not sure if you know what Baker act means, um, or if they have something along those lines in Boulder, but in Florida, we have a Baker act law, which is if you are a, a harm to yourself or to others, um, if you have a plan and intent to kill yourself or others, you can be voluntarily or involuntarily, um, hospitalized for your own safety for 72 hours. Um, is, pending, you know, evaluation and seeing like what else um, needs it. Um, so for example, if you have somebody in your family that has expressed to you that they want to kill themselves and they'll tell you that they, you know, with the pills that they have or with a gun and dad's safe or whatever the case may be at that point, you can hospitalize them. Um, voluntarily, again, or involuntarily, where you call the cops and the cops come and they take you in and it's a whole thing. Um, And I feel like because here in Florida, that is something, it's been happening so much. I feel like everyone now is afraid to even mention the thoughts of dying, thoughts of wanting to die. Um, And that's scary. Because when we hide things, they fizzle and they bubble up. And if you have someone that has the occasional thought of wanting to kill themselves, and as life progresses, their life gets a little bit more harder, who's to say those thoughts won't start to come and surface more and more? And if they're not talking about it,
2: who's to say that they won't act upon it? And
1: that's the dangers of mental health. You know, like I said earlier, the brain is so powerful. The mind is so powerful. It can really convince you of things lives in your head. The, the conversation that we are having today right now in this moment is coming from my head. So we need to be able to kind of facilitate that conversation without consequence. I tell my clients all the time, listen, you can talk to me about whatever you want to. If it means that you want to talk to me about that thought that you had that one time when you wanted to drive that car off of wherever I, I-75, talk to me about it. Let's process. If I deem that, you th- that I think it would be best for you to be hospitalized, I'll let you know. It'll be a conversation. But it shouldn't be something that's going to hold them back because of that fear. But unfortunately, I think it is. I don't think people want to talk about that. That yeah. and also, I think, um, sexuality especially at a young age.
0: What do you mean by, let's define that. I
1: feel like a lot of, um, thankfully, um, finally, I guess, the the conversation around sexuality, sexual uh, orientation, gender orientation is starting to become more prominent, especially in kids. Um, A lot of kids are starting to be more open about the way they feel and stuff like that, which I think is great. But there's still some taboo attached to it. There's still some... Right now, actually, Florida is trying to pass a law that says it's the don't, the don't say gay uh, bill, which is basically not speaking about um, sexual orientation or gender orientation in a classroom. Um, a lot of people are very upset by this, and I myself am, um, because that is where informed, you know, decision making comes from our schools. Yeah. Um, but... I feel like because of the tabooness around sexual orientation and, you know, most, most right now, I think the, the biggest topic is gender orientation, you know, identifying yourself as your born gender or not. I feel like those are the topics that right now are hard to talk about with your parents. A lot of parents don't want to
0: talk about that.
1: So I think those are the ones that need to be
2: talked about the most, though. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I think like, I can probably relate to both, but there probably isn't a lot of dialogue about that because people just don't want to have other people think that their life isn't perfect or in order or going the way that it should. You know, we ourselves kind of have a personal responsibility to be vulnerable and to share those parts of ourselves with other people. So that way they, they know that other people experience the same things as we do, but there's like a kind of a block in our heads i think where we don't want to share those things because we want to appear put together like our lives on track that we're perfect that we got it all going on you know so
1: yeah i agree i think i mean that especially the one about like dying and death i think people don't want to talk about it one because they don't want to be judged they don't want that to define them which i understand the same the same about sexual orientation and gender identity like people don't want to feel like an outcast people don't want to feel like they like they're a misfit we're we're all humans at the end of the day we're going to be born and then we're going to die that's just the reality of it your belief is going to guide you to believe that you know uh, you go to heaven or maybe you don't believe in that and so We don't think of anything or other people think in reincarnation. Fine. You know, everybody has their own beliefs. But at the end of the day, the truth of the matter is we are born and then we die. I guess my mentality is very much of.
2: Why are we stopping ourselves from being our fullest
1: potential as humans? We have bones. We have meat. We have a brain. Every brain is different. The way I think may not be the way that you think. So why am I limiting myself? Why am I afraid? and it's society as a whole. but if society as a whole chose to accept everyone and everything for who they are and what they are I feel like a lot of people wouldn't be battling the things that they do, but also like I'm a, my brain's like going it's like yes yeah. this would be a perfect world but I also believe because of the fact that there are so many different like personalities,
2: chaos is
1: kind of like it's bound to happen. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's
0: that's
1: true. Because now, if we start talking about the mental health side of personality disorders, antisocial personality disorders, narcissistic personality disorders, borderline personality disorders people that crave chaos because that's what their personality is driven them to be how do you get someone who's experiencing that to live in a world where harmony and everyone's accepted you know what i'm saying like there's yeah. so, there's so many things that can be attached
0: yeah so many different directions it can go <laughs> yeah
1: And that's why that's what I love about mental health There's just there's so much to explore. There's so much to analyze and to learn from humans in general. There's so many like everyone. There's not one human being that is the same. It's like this never ending. Learning experience, really.
0: Yeah, so, and so many unknowns too. And then with each like advancement in society and our lives and technology and everything, that's some new element added on top of mental health that creates some new challenge or maybe a new solution to things, you know? So it's it's always changing. It's one of those things that's never yeah. gonna be the same.
1: Yeah, one of my, um, I, I, so my plan is to go back to school to get my um, clinical psychology um, doctorates. I wanna get my PsyD. And I would like to do a thesis on. Um, it's kind of like a, a spinoff on nature versus nurture, but more talking in regards to, like, what makes someone make a poor choice. I guess, like, at what point in their life is it? Is it by necessity? Is it? because they feel like it and at what point what drives them to that point of making that choice and I I speak I'm I'm trying to speak more in regards to criminal activity um like making big I'm still deciding how to like phrase what I'm trying to study but um I think choice is so fascinating when it comes to like behavior and and mental health yeah
0: when you look at it from like the standpoint of they know and are aware that there's a good choice and a bad choice that they could be making like there's two alternatives
1: right yeah yeah I think
0: that would be super interesting
1: the way I look at it I this is going to sound very controversial but I don't necessarily believe that everyone who is incarcerated for making, for doing a heinous crime. Like, I don't think they look at it as a good or bad choice. I think they, a lot of them look at it as, I had a choice, period,
0: point blank. But sometimes maybe I had no other choice. I had no other, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's a, that would be something super interesting. Cause I haven't, I've, I mean, I haven't done a lot of research on it, but I'm sure that there's so many different elements to that, that we wouldn't even think of just based off like the top of my head or so that, that'd right. be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. What is a, a one piece of advice that you want to leave with the audience?
2: Life isn't a race.
1: Success is determined by your own experience. I feel like a lot of times, and I know I'm experiencing now, like in life in general. So I'm 27 years old. um, And a lot of my friends are now getting married or having babies. And it's, it feels like I have like this pressure, but I don't, like, I really don't, I don't need to be anywhere. And this comparison of where I need to be or where my success is determined is a pressure that I'm putting on myself. Um, And I guess life isn't a race because I feel like sometimes we feel we have to be at a certain place at a certain time to consider ourselves this version of perfection. I have a great example for this. My uncle, he owns a newspaper company down in Argentina. And my cousin decided to go back to, decided to get her law degree. So she became, she she got her law degree down there. And he was kind of like, he was always very much into politics as a lot of Argentines are. Um, And he decided at 56 to go back to school and get his law degree. Because why not? Now he's like a Senator and he like loves it down there and he loves his job, still owns the company. But, and that really taught me like, there is no limit. I've met so many beautiful human beings that are older than I am, who've experienced a life before the life that they lead now that they've made a choice somewhere along the line to do something new. And it really put into perspective that, like, your life is your own. You can do whatever you want with it. You don't have to limit yourself to what you think you have to be doing. I I I think that's the advice I'd give. Life isn't a race and success isn't determined by what the people around you think that you should be doing. It's determined by your own experience and what you feel is success.
0: What books podcasts or other resources do you recommend for
1: people to check out i actually wrote these down
0: <laughs> so the books that i like
1: i really 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 liked um there's one called um the body keeps score by <laughs> so yes vander yeah. so good like you get ready it's a freaking ride But it's so worth it. And it's so true. Your body does keep score. If if you've ever experienced trauma and you're having a hard time kind of going through it and you don't know why, that book is a great definition as to why you are feeling these things. Because your body, our brain stores all of the memories and all of the traumas, but our body feels it. Our body keeps the scars that we have wound, like the wounds that are not visible they live underneath our skin. So wonderful book, read it. Um, It It Didn't Start With You by Mark Wolin. That's a really good book about um, generational trauma and speaking like that a lot of the times when we have like our anxieties and our depressions, at a young age or at an older age even, a lot of the times it has to do with the way that our parents raised us and the way that their parents raised them and the way that those parents raised those parents. It's a generational cycle. So that book is really good about breaking down and depicting like where it all comes from and why you may be experiencing the things that you are experiencing. Um, and then the third one, the third book, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Lori um, Gottlieb that one i just put in there because it's kind of like it's the it's the journey of of the of goatlieb um going through therapy it really talks about therapy from a therapist's perspective uh perception um so i think that's really good the podcast that i really really like um right now i'm listening to something was wrong by tiffany reese have you heard of it
0: no i haven't but is it good she is
1: doing beautiful work so her podcast is essentially about um victims of trauma emotional abuse specifically verbal and emotional abuse um and how like because of the fact that it's it's hard to tell when someone is going through these things because it's not visible so these victims tell these, their stories, which I'm, they're so courageous and so, I, I'm so inspired by them. Um, and you hear about like these things that you would never expect. You would have never believed it to happen to anybody, but it can because it's these, it's not a celebrity. It's, it's not somebody with a huge platform. It's just these typical people that have experienced trauma in their life and survived. So wonderful podcast. Listen to it if you have time. Um, it's from Audio Chuck. Um, great. Um, and then Unlo- unlocking us by Brene Brown. Brene Brown is one of my favorite social workers. I'm sure you'll hear that name. Um, if mental health is something that you're into, Brene Brown. She is beautiful. Um, she does. She has great books, and this podcast talks about like, you know, your interpersonal. Feelings and she does really good about explaining. She has a lot of guests on her podcast. Um, you know, Jack Shepard was on her last episode recently. So, really good. Dax Shepard, not Jack Shepard. Um, and if you like meditations, Meditation Minis by Chell Hamilton. She does like little meditations. I listen to them on the way to work. Wonderful.
0: Great. Those are great recommendations. I'll have to check some of those out, and then just, I need to start reading *The Body Keeps the Score*. It's kind of intimidating. Like the pages are super long, and it's a kind of a long book. But
1: yeah, it, and it, it is a little intimidating. But I I promise you that read. it it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna open a world for you that you'd never you never thought about until then. I know it did for me. I know it did for a lot of my colleagues.
0: So. Great. Where can people find you, your Instagram website? Sure. So I'm actually, if, if you're down
1: in Miami, you can find my website. Um, well, on Psychology Today, um, I'm located in Doral. So if you type in my name, Fiore Labianchi, um, you can find my um, private practice that I work with, my, with Dr. Liliana Uribe. Um, but on Instagram, for those that aren't in Miami, Florida, I'm under hija in Miami um hija in miami signifies daughter of miami the reason why i use that is because i feel like i feel like miami has really taught me a lot of things about my culture and about myself i've grown my most at, in my hometown of miami um i wasn't born here but i'm definitely a child of miami so he de miami it's a it's in spanish but <laughs> there you're gonna find a lot of um blog posts about how to deal with you know anxiety depression how to find a good therapist um I do a lot of um the word I'm looking for reflection posts so um like kind of journaling and you could do it like interaction with me it doesn't have to be like
0: on your own so yeah you can follow me there I love your, you post your morning mantras and then on Wednesdays, the midweek checks. I love those. Yeah. Thank (laughs) you. Yeah. I feel like sometimes we need someone to check in on us. Exactly. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really loved speaking with you and I have so many other questions that I'd love to ask you, but we, maybe we can do a part two or something. (laughs) Oh, maybe. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. These questions are
1: fabulous. I really look forward to hearing this. I love, love, love Real Radiance. So thank you. I know I haven't <laughs> expressed that enough, and I'm going to because I really should. I need, I need to promote you because what you do is beautiful. I love the fact that you bring on such empowering people into your podcast. So thank you. Thank
0: you. That means a
1: lot.